Hello and welcome. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. This is my second, third episode of the Who Says That podcast. Um, and this today I have a very special guest. You believe in talking like this? It's like it's like a dream to be able to talk into a microphone and do shtick. Like I know what I'm I know what I'm doing. Uh, you honor me. You honor me. Well, thank you, Rich, because everybody's fascinated to know about you. I'm telling you, when I told people I was interviewing you, they couldn't believe it. Really? It was the Ooh, the uh, like, like two people. <laughs> Jada, my daughter. Right. And your and your sister, my uh, wife. Yeah, wow. She's like, really? This reminds me of like uh you know, Flight of the Concords when they were like the fan comes to all the shows. Yeah, you know, I don't get the yeah. reference, but I know it's I know it's funny and right. important. Right. Anyway, so I started this podcast <clears throat> with your with your sister, my yes. wife Candace. Right. Um, and it's turned into something, I think. It's a family operation. It's a family operation, and you have been actually encouraging to me to do stuff like this, which is ridiculous, but thank you. Listen, whatever gets us out of the house these days right? is important. Getting to talk into a microphone is right. It's kind of fun. I like these mics. They're fancy. Right. Get, get real close. We don't, we don't want to miss a word of right. what you have to okay. say. Right here? How are we doing okay. there, Colton? Sounds good? So anyway, um, I'm here with Richard Levy, who is my brother-in-law, who is a, one of the most impressive entrepreneurs I've ever met. I, look, don't make a face. Um, he's got a fascinating history that I, I would love to hear his story, because I think everybody, all the three people who hear this are going to want to know about you. One will be your mother. Mm -hmm. Maybe your father will listen. I don't think he has the patience for it. And Candace is definitely not going to listen. Yes, so. exactly. Well, you know, full disclosure, this is an hour of your life you'll... Probably never get back. But That's right. Here goes nothing. Can you imagine spending an hour of time with me? And right. you'd be like, oh, what a waste. Mm -mm. No, it's not true. No, I mean for the studio audience at home. There's three people listening, so right. there's no pressure. Okay, here we go. You have to be your charming self. Always, always. Always and always. So Rich, if you don't know, Rich started a salad store back in when was that? February 2000. It's called Salad Spinners. Yes, it's like it's like in lore of Chicago lunch eateries in the loop. People okay. love it. It's a bit of a stretch, but okay. No, don't don't sell yourself short. People right. love that place. Yes. But prior to that, you were a student. You went to Indiana University, and I want you to tell the whole story. This isn't about me. Nobody cares about me. Right. I'm not sure if they care about you necessarily either, but you can tell your story because it is interesting, and I think people would want to know. Um, maybe we'll find out how you ended up. At salad spinners, but before that, how you, you you were like the living coming to America, right? The Jewish white coming to America. That's true. I was just recounting the story of our arrival in the states uh, the other night. I was at a wedding tasting, and and uh, I told the people there that, that we arrived in January of two thousand. Was Martin Luther the day before Martin Luther King's Monday? You should back up for a second because yes. you're getting getting ahead of yourself. Yeah. You, you emigrated from South Africa. South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa. That's right. In the, in the mid-80s? 1988. In the height of apartheid? The height of apartheid, yes. Your brave parents decided to move out of luxury and, and opulence of South Africa to beautiful Highland Park, Illinois. Sure. And you, you must have been like, we've arrived, like the promised Tropical land. Tropical Highland Park, That's Illinois. In the middle of January. Yes. And how old were you? I was 13. I just had my bar mitzvah. Um... And we arrived in the middle of a blizzard. We'd never seen snow before. Can you imagine? Which was exciting. 
We'd been to the States six months before in the summer, and we saw the house, we bought the house, but then we arrived in the middle of a blizzard, and we didn't even have, like, coats, so we had these, like, like cheap sort of uh, Woolworths-type coats and uh, what we call tackies, which were gym shoes with, you know, holes in them. Like, I mean, it's hard to explain. Like sandals. Probably about as robust as a pair of kids. Huh. And... Uh, we saw the snow. We were in the in the taxi on the way to the house. We're all excited. And as we get to the house, we are ready to just chomping at the bit to jump out and make a snowman. We never made a snowman or threw a snowball at each other, my brothers and I. Yeah, right. when he says we, uh, Rich has, has right. two older brothers and a right. younger sister. Rich is my favorite. <laughs> and then comes Candace. No, it's not true. No, they're all equally um, impressive. 20 bucks later. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I want to understand, as a 13-year-old kid, mm-hmm. to move to a new country, I mean, that must have been either tra- traumatizing or incredibly exciting and like an adventure. You know, it was. It was, um, I, I recall that I kind of wanted to stay in Africa, but. Why? Why? Because my friends were there, my family, extended family was there. I was, I was going to high school at the time, and I was excited about that. But I also wanted to come to the States. You know, we'd seen a lot of different strokes and silver spoons, a lot of uh, sitcoms and, you know, Magnum P.I. So we were all excited for this, for this adventure. And, um, and how wrong it, how wrong it was, right? It wasn't even close to Magnum P.I. It was a lot like silver spoons though. The, the school part. I mean, I remember like the most exciting part was that you couldn't wear, you didn't have to wear uniforms. You had to wear a uniform in South Africa. You had to wear a uniform in South Africa, and I was excited to not have to wear a school uniform. But you went to, like, a Jewish day school, right? Right. Still have to wear a uniform. Even at the public schools in Johannesburg? Especially at the public schools. The public schools were very uh, Anglo. They were very, they followed the the British tradition of, you know, you had to wear uniforms, blazers. Your blazer, if your shoes weren't polished, you got in trouble. You got jacked. You get jacked? Jacked. Six of the best. A cane. Jesus, I would have back been I day. would have been out of there so fast. Well, you didn't have a choice, and your parents encouraged it. Really? Yes, our parents encouraged uh, what they called corporal, corporal punishment. punishment. Yes, you never were corporal punished. No, you're probably Once a good boy. Briefly with a cricket bat. Deserve it? I think so. I think it was because I didn't have my my PE kit, so my coach was like, "Bend over, Levy." It was kind of a rite of passage. <laughs> More than anything. But that is interesting to be thir- – because I think of when I'm 13 years old, like, mm-hmm. to be able to, like, get up and leave a country to go somewhere else, I mean, that's that seems very, right. full, like, impossible to me. You I would never have been able to handle that. It's written in the Torah. Leich lecha miartzecha. Go right. from here. But never mind that. Yes. So you came here, 13 years old, you saw the snow, and you're like, geez, this is unbelievable. What a country. <laughs> what a country. We jumped out of the car without coats, without gloves, with these – you know, cheap tennis shoes on, and we went and made snowmen and started having a snowball fight, which lasted all of about two minutes before we had the searing pain, not only in our fingers, but in our toes, because the, the you know, the snow had so you seeped ne- in. you never learned in South Africa that, that it's cold in other parts of the world? I we mean- were told. We were told it's cold, but we never experienced that, 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 Pain of of a numb finger that's about to get frostbite, which you'll know if you, which anybody who's lived in the northern climates knows. All right, listen. This is the most fascinating conversation I've had with you in a long time. Unbelievable. Well, there's more. There's. Ugh. 
There's more time. I think we're needing more time here. <laughs> Come back anytime. No, no, no. Yes. But I'm, in, in all seriousness. Yeah. You know, I, I want to understand the the how you acclimatize to you know right. northern suburb culture. You know, being from South Africa. I mean, when I was growing up, I grew up in the North Shore. Right. I mean, I didn't know there were white Jewish people in South Africa. It was just not on my radar. So, right. I mean, the, the, I assume everybody else didn't know about white people from South Africa either, unless they were special or yeah. had good, better education than me. You know, it was interesting because we arrived right at the, the era of two movies that came out that were popular at the time. One was Coming to America. Okay. Which, was, which I can't tell you how many times I got called Prince Hakim. And then the other one that was... Never, that should have stuck I, from now on. <laughs> Uncle Prince Hakim. And then the other one was um, uh, Lethal Weapon 2, where the South Africans are the bad guys. Yes, yes. So, uh, and my brothers and I had hockey hair a la Mel Gibson. So we were... We fit right in, you know? You we did looked, fit right we in. Looked like, we looked like three young, sort of Jewish-looking Mel Gibsons. Um, Can time. you imagine? Yeah. So that day that we arrived, here's what I remember distinctly is, so we, when we, after the two minutes in the, the snowball fight, we go in the house, we get unpacked, uh, you know, it's, I think it was later in the evening, we went to bed and because we were exhausted from the flight, and then we woke up at like two, three in the morning and the snow had really fallen, but we saw across the street, someone was shoveling snow on the driveway, and we thought, wow, another neighborhood kid. So, so at three in the morning, my brothers said, we have snow shovels in the garage. So we decided to go and help him. Oh, no, we started shoveling our driveway, hopelessly clueless of how to do it. Okay. That's not that complicated. You I remember mean, in coming to America where he's, where he's using the mop in the, yes, mop, it, yes. in the mop bucket. It was kind of like that. We were I was going this way. Greg was going that way. Lawrence was going this way. And we didn't shovel anything. You didn't get it done. We moved all the snow probably into the middle. And, and the goes, guy, son, if you, want to, if you want to keep working here, you got to stay off the drugs. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. And then the guy across the street we found out was not a neighborhood kid, but it was a snow service that comes in the middle of the night, which we found out was a thing. Wow. So, How lucky. A little, the lap of luxury that someone right. would, would shovel your driveway for you. Correct. Very, so, very similar to life in South Africa. But for the next month, because it didn't snow again, ours was the one house on the block that had a horribly plowed, uh, shoveled driveway and... Footprints everywhere, all, all up in the snow. But like, you, how do you make friends as a as an as a thirteen year old kid in a new country? I mean, I just I just don't know. Like, right. thinking about my, when I was thirteen, how like clueless I was about about the world and, and how life works. Even though I'm, I don't think I have it figured out now. Like, you know, the idea of, of interacting with people on that level. You know, oddly enough, so I'd never been to a school uh, with a black person, or let alone. Never, never mind a school. I've never been to a restaurant or a movie theater or... But let's be honest. How many black right. people are there at Highland Park High School? Oh, uh, well, there were quite a few. We weren't in the high school. We were in the junior okay. high. And we were... Uh, the, the Fort Sheridan had a feeder. Uh, Fort Sheridan and Highwood were part of our school district, which I believe they still are. So it was Northwood Junior High. And I remember day one of class, they found me a buddy to take me around. Like, you know, the school gets you. This is the new kid. And there was a lot of new kids at the school because there were a lot of army brats there. So, oh. so one of the army kids took me around. His name was Maurice. I'll never, I don't forget his, forget his last name. A great kid. Showed me around. Showed me what pizza day was. I think pizza was like a dollar. 
and I think I didn't bring any pizza money. He's like, here, I'll give you a dollar. Buy, you know, oh. you can pay me back tomorrow. And I was all excited to try this big piece of El Forno's pizza, which I ended up working for uh, during high school. But that was my first introduction to to an integrated school, which was interesting. Um, and uh, and things like lockers and carrying your books like we'd seen on, on Silver Spoons. Well, let's just jump you know? back to that, because you the word integrated school. Yeah. Because I'm sure no one, you know, my age, right. would understand what the heck you're talking about sure. an integrated school. I mean, to the idea that you came from a country mm-hmm. where it was, segregation was the law. And then right. to come here and, and it's not, I mean, that must have been sort of a culture shock or, or yeah, how, how did you, you know, react to that? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, we... We were always cognizant of the fact that there was something not right about South African culture. You know, we were, we were. I was born in a whites-only hospital in an, in the heart of apartheid South Africa. Um, we had relationships with with our with Africans, with our with our black uh, nannies and our gardeners, and mm. especially their kids, because because of the law of the of the land at the time, they could only live in a white area if they were working. Uh, at someone's house and they would often bring their kids who would stay with us and they would play soccer together and those relationships were were friendly but you knew that you could never um go to a movie with with your your nanny's kid or you could never go to the beach for example we would go on holiday and and we would have our staff would bring their kids and we could play in the backyard, but we could never go to the beach. Be in public. It was them. a very strange way to grow up, but it felt normal for us because it's all we knew. But how did they teach that to you in school? They just said, you're white, so you go here and, and everyone it's, else goes somewhere it's else. It's great. Like, so one of the first words I remember learning to read, uh, which was, you know, as a six-year-old, you, you read everything. You know, you just, you're like, mommy, look, that says, sign says stop. And I remember seeing, learning to read the word European, which a hard word to read and a hard word to right. to pronounce because of you know English is a tough language but the word was on the toilet at the park that I was playing at the word european yeah and, the, and it was on the, the the toilet said europeans only and then the other toilet said non europeans and then it said it in afrikaans which is like a dutch a dutch dialect and i had to ask my dad not only what what that word meant and why we needed two toilets. Why my nanny couldn't use the same toilet as I, I used. But like in your house, could they, did they use the same sort of quarters? And st- no. So we had the servants. Every home in Johannesburg, even if you were middle class, had servants' quarters. Um, so you had a, you, usually you had your main home, and then kind of like in the basement or, or off in the backyard, there was another sort of mini home mm. where, the, where your staff lived. And oftentimes they were part of the family. They lived on site. Um, uh, we had good relationships with them. They were our second moms. You know, they used to they used to play with us in the afternoon, make sure we were fed and bathed. How did you, how did your dad handle that question? Because I think if my kid asked me that, I'd be like, uh... you know, I remember him explaining to it to me, and I'll probably butcher it, so I don't want to, you know, mis don't worry misquote him. But he, he was something he, he along listen. the lines of. Uh, you know, we have to wash our. There's a different way that we wash our hands that they wash our hands, and it was it was a very it was, I could tell it was an uncomfortable conversation for him to have with me. Huh. Um, you know, and so, you know, so we kind of just glossed over it. But that was pretty much our whole childhood. You know, we had, we had, uh, 
We had our community and they had their community. It was very much a separate but equal society, South, South Africa. Unbelievable. Yeah. That, that went on. And era. we would we would live, we knew where, like we lived on in one suburb and on the other side of the highway there was a, a huge township uh, called Alexandra and we would drive through it on the way to the airport. So you'd, you'd be, uh, you know, on the way to vacation, you'd be all excited to go on holiday and yeah. you'd, you would drive right through the township on the way to the airport because it was a shortcut and it was pretty safe to go for a while. And then they started to be rioting and and violence, and so we then used to take a long way to the airport. But so, so then as part of the story of coming here, I mean, it was obviously, you know, business opportunity, whatever, we can get into that, but, you know, maybe underneath that was your parents' idea to say, hey, we need to get the heck out of this country because things sure. can go one of two ways. Sure, right? so, so there was military conscription, um, which means that when you were 18 years old, you had to go to the Army. So there's three boys in my family, as you know, and then my little sister, your wife, so my parents and, and everybody, all the men in my family had been to the Army or my dad was Your in dad. the Air Force. And, you know, for a large, for, it's a much longer conversation, but for, for South Africa was holding up the beacon of freedom, quote unquote, in, in, um, in Africa. It was really a, a part that was a Cold War issue more than anything else in the world. And that's a whole separate other discussion. Yeah, that's boring. But no we were keeping the communists at bay. This army, was the, 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 the... The whites were. The white government, the Afrikaner government, was the apartheid government was keeping the communists out of Africa, which was largely keeping the gold price stable and platinum and uranium. You want those nice, pretty nukes you got in America that comes, you need a lot of the uranium that was in Southern Africa, which was propped up by the apartheid government. Anyway, long story short, we would have had to go to the army. My folks- I couldn't imagine your Lawrence in the, in the army. You, you, you maybe, and Greg could handle it, but Lawrence, they probably would have been, you know what, you know what? Greg was in oh, the army. You can, you can. Lawrence, I cannot see in the army. <laughs> All of us, you know, but anyway, the point is we, um, he would have been fine though. We're just, we're just. Yeah, we, uh, we, we would. There was mandatory military conscription. My folks didn't want us going to fight because uh, there was actually a hot war in Angola at the time, and they didn't want us to fight. My dad found an opportunity to buy a business that was happened to be in Schiller Park, Illinois, and, and he the came home land. one day. Yeah, <laughs> came home one day and said, "Boys, we're moving to America," and we said, "Disney World, Dad?" He said, "Not quite." Better. Yes, better. Have you heard of the Chicago Bears? And that was <laughs> had you? Uh, we hadn't. No. Oh, Michael Jordan? No, Michael Jordan wasn't. We had no, not heard. I I knew nothing early. of Chicago. But nothing. you know, because I think of that from my perspective, my growing up, that the idea of going to war to fight in a war in Angola, just it's like incredibly foreign to me. I just could not. Yeah. I can't wrap my head around that as a father now, thinking about my kids and and what goes on in the world today. But that just is is like. Beyond. I'll tell you a very interesting and strange story. So, the, so in 1983, we first came to the States to visit. And, and, and that trip, we went, you know, it was our first overseas trip. I was like nine and a half, ten years old. And on the way back from New York to Johannesburg, you landed a little island called Ila de Sal, which is part of the Cape Verde Islands off the west coast of Africa. And on the tarmac at two in the morning refueling, there were two aircraft. One was a South African Airways flight from New York to Johannesburg. The other was an Aeroflot. What's that? That is a Russian passenger uh, aircraft mm. flying troops from Cuba to Angola to fight against uh, South Africa. And both planes 
quietly on the tarmac. And again, I look out the window and I say to my dad, because I read everything, those are funny letters. If you look at this, it's written in the Russian, oh. Russian alphabet. I said, what does that say? And my dad explained to me. That plane, Just, that, on that plane are soldiers who are going to go fight your uncle in Angola. Your poor dad had, how did you deal with these hard, these tough questions? You know, it was a, it, it was a wonderfully complicated time. And, um, you know, for the most part, look, South Africa was a democracy as long as your skin was white. So take that what you will. So you could speak up against, yeah. you could speak up to a certain extent. But if you were a crazy communist, they would have put you in jail. You, you probably have done the same up, thing here. Could, yeah, you could, you could you say certain things. You could write letters to the newspaper. But the government would watch you, you know. And so for the most part, there were some people that were rebel rousers, that, that were communists that got put in jail or, or activists that got put in jail. But for the most part, everybody kind of was afraid and they kept in line. And, and you know, they were also patriots. Whether you, lo you love or hate your country, you're still a patriot. You want it to do well. Right. And you root for your country. And, and the other alternative was, was you know, a, a Soviet-style government like they had in Mozambique or, or Angola. You know, but this is much more complicated uh, in, in high level. I'm not sure anybody's interested. Nobody's in interested. I, yes, can, okay. I can assure you that. Okay. Right? <laughs> Tom's like glazed over over there. You right. can't believe this. Right. Um, okay. But then, all right, so you come to America and you assimilate very nicely and, right. you, and you get into the culture and the Bears, the Chicago sports, all that. It comes very naturally to you. Which not is, to me, no. Mm. I couldn't dribble a basketball to not, save my not, life. Well, come on. No, it's, it's not playing. It was a disaster. I could ride a bike. It. Yeah, okay, fine. Fair enough. <laughs> I could um, ride a bike. That like, was did you, fun. You, like, did you go to homecoming your freshman year? With no, like, I did not go. I didn't even, I don't think so. I don't think I went to homecoming. Uh, not because. I couldn't crack a date. Let's be honest. What's, what's changed, right? Not exactly. Story um, of my life. Story. <laughs> we can get into that, but we don't have to get into right. that. So, and then, but food has always been an important part of your life and, and your family's life, right. which is actually also very different from my upbringing, where food was, like, not so important, right? Really? Yeah, I mean, you look at my parents, they, they weigh, like, 30 pounds each. They're so yeah, tiny. they like good food, and yeah, your but mom can make some seriously she, great stuff. She can That's... bake a, a coffee cake. I mean, come on. She bakes some She doesn't, like, make a, a whole dinner, like a Do whole spread. discount Debbie I Craig. don't, I don't, she's but... A, she's, a, she's a dark horse baker. Fair enough, but, like, the way... We ate food was is very right. different, right. or our relationship with food than than, and right. not not you know I'm not I'm judging a little bit that ours was probably could have used a little advice from from your family, right? But ultimately, you, you go off to college, go through the whole process. We you were get very it. well nourished. You well nourished. You are you the skinniest of the Levy boys? I wouldn't say that. No, but You're all um, my size. But my mom would always, like, we, one of the things we couldn't believe is you could go to the grocery store and buy so much stuff. Like, there was just everything and anything under the sun was, uh, was available uh, at the drop of a hat. Mm. And, and not only at Sunset, but you could go to... Nobody uh, knows what Sunset is. Uh, what was Dominic's? <laughs> Dominic's. Was Dominic's go. before Mariano's, you know? So it was... The, the grocery store, I think about that. I mean, right. culturally, the, even that, that's just a small, minutiae thing that people take for, take for granted. We had grocery stores in South Africa, but we didn't have, you didn't have like mega as stores. many products as they have in the States. Which it's overwhelming. Was, which was really, it was awesome, you know, to, to 
for lack of a better term. So where'd you go to college? Indiana. Indiana Hoosier. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Fantastic school. Fantastic university. I loved I loved every moment of college. It was just the best four years of my life. But if you'd stayed in South Africa with something like college, like in Indiana, like a Big Ten school, no. I mean, that didn't exist. It, Not a chance. So by the time I got to college, uh, so apartheid was ending, they stopped military conscription, and a lot of my peers who went there, who stayed there, uh, they did a, a university program. They, used to, they called it varsity. It's got nothing to do with being a varsity athlete, but but we can talk about. But they lift. It's they a very important at, part of your of, your, of who you are. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> Can't you tell? But they live at um, they live at home and they go and they finish do a two year or three year program and. What they call uh, that like matric or something. Some matric is high school. No, I, senior year of high school. Yeah, I don't even know all the lexicon you guys. Which use. is the toughest year of high school there. Um, Why? Because you're trying to get into university. Versus. Junior year and in the states being your toughest because once you're in, you're in and you're, you're, you're kind of coasting. Senior year, that's true. You know, which I liked. Coasting. I like coasting. Yes. Indiana University. I mean, what the school hasn't been the same since you left. I'm sure. <laughs> right. Fraternity. I'll tell you a story. When I got, well, that's there, why we're I here, really Rich. Didn't... How do you think this is going? We want to hear your stories, I and mean, that's why I brought you in. Here. I didn't know so shit about anything, and I went and I was like, heard about this Bobby Knight character. And I remember, like, I lived right by Assembly Hall, which is where the, the basketball team... Bobby Knight was the, the coach. Yes, Coach Knight. Fair, okay. The general. Seemed like an asshole. And um, I get there in, in the fall of 93, and a couple of buddies of mine are like, let's go, let's go see if Assembly Hall's open. So we open the door. We're dumb freshmen. We open the door. And I forget why. They were, they were practicing. So my, one of my buddies who was like a Mr. Basketball candidate in Indiana, which is a big deal. Like he was on the team or like a walk-on? No, he was, he, no, he was in high school. He was, he was like top 10 players in Indiana. Okay. okay. Where is he now? I don't know. But he, he said to me, he said to me, let's go in, let's pop in. So we pop in and we snuck in and we, we open, and I see the door to the stadium. So I open it and I look inside and, I, and the, the team's practicing there. And... I, look, I go, I walk in, and my buddy says, get the F out, get the fuck out of there. I said, I said, well, what's the big deal? I'm a student here. Uh. This is the gym. He says, well, get out of there. Okay, so we walk, we leave. We end up going to our first game. Yeah. And we have, me and him are sitting in behind the. Wait a minute, how far did you get into the stadium? Are you just like I into just the walked in or? a few, and I saw the team practicing. I saw Coach Knight did in the red you? sweater. Yeah. And then I leave. Okay. Okay. So he's like, he grabbed me. Like, I think he grabbed me by the lapels. Get the, you know, let's get out of here. But then like the, a few days later, we're at our first game and we're sitting there and we're sitting right where the Hoosiers come out. And I see Bobby Knight walk out the locker room and he's got, and there's a stadium's packed. Okay. And I, we're sitting maybe 10 rows up behind the, the basket and he walks out. And the crowd, there's just a hush mm. on the crowd. And I said, okay, this, this guy, this guy seems revered. important. Right. This guy seems important. Game starts. Everything's going well. And then some dude a couple rows next to us was holding up a sign that says, who needs Lindemann? We, who needs Rudy? We got Lindemann. Okay? And the movie Rudy had just come out. Okay. Fair enough. And 
Bobby, I don't even know what happened. Next thing I know, Coach Knight points to this guy and says, you get the fuck out of my stadium now. Get this You're guy kidding. in front of everybody. Okay. What an asshole. <laughs> the crowd just went silent. They, they, they got the guy. They took his sign. They oh, ejected they, him. They, they ejected, ejected him. him. And I said, that kind okay, of pull. okay, I get it. I get. I should not have snuck into this man's practice. You know? I wanted to stay a student in good standing at this university. Right. Well, how did it work out so, for Bobby Knight in the end? You know what? You can say what you will about the guy. His certain players loved him. Uh, but it was a great, it was a great ex, uh, experience. That defined your, your college. The next four years of college after that were Correct. All... You understood who he was, and then you would often see him. And he was actually very cordial. Like, I, I remember seeing him once outside of a movie, movie theater, and he was very friendly to the students. We're coming up to him and saying, you know, mm-hmm. hey, Coach Knight. He was, if, when he was not he wasn't working. wasn't any chairs at you right When he was not on the court, he was a great leader, a great mentor. But he was, like anything else in life, he was a very tough uh, competitor. That's okay. Fair and enough. And he was all business. He had his way of doing things, and uh, for better, for worse, it worked for him. Now, will that work in today's culture? Probably not. No, I couldn't tell you. No, it wouldn't. There's no way. Right. Indiana hasn't won a championship since. So that's true. Although I think they're ranked number ten now. I saw. I wouldn't know. Yeah. Oh, come on. What kind of place is this, Tom? Right. All right. So. Rich, how do you think this is going? Because I think it's, this is like couldn't be more interesting. You seem very relaxed. I am relaxed. Thank you. I I had uh, uh, you know protein shake this morning, so I'm feeling pretty. I had my coffee, pumpkin spiced. Did you make the protein shake, or did you buy it? Somewhere? Yes. No, I buy. Uh, I make my own protein shake. What so. do you put in it? Yeah. What do you put in that? Uh, shake? I got this. I forget the name of the brand, but it's like this fuel that I I forget what it's called. It's like a Wait a minute, wait a minute. You put you buy something, you don't know what it is, and you, and you just... I don't know the name of the brand. Who told you to buy it? I got this trainer that I've been working with this year, you know, and uh, you know he gives you some uh, vitamins, some supplements to buy. Yeah, it's funny. Don't take nutrition advice. No, it's funny. I'm a work I, in progress. You know, because I made a, my post, I posted my, a clip of right. my last podcast, and if you read right. the caption, which I'm sure you didn't, there was a, I was quoting someone else on TikTok who'd said, you know... And you know, put a microphone in somebody and a camera angle like this, and you right. look—you don't look into the camera, you look next to the camera, and it's like you'll buy any anything that guy's selling because he must be important because he's on a podcast, <laughs> right? Well, I'm not going to plug anything because I'm, uh, you know, why? Are we, you got somewhere else to go? How are we doing on time? Well, we, no, I'm not going to. Pl- I don't know because I don't even know the name of the product. I bet you do. You're just—you're just being. Well, can Google? I'll send it to you later. It doesn't. We can matter. add it in post. Sure. Yeah. So we'll come back for the second interview because some people will, will dying to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you get through college, and the entrepreneur in you decides to come back to Chicago because we got to fast forward ahead because we're gonna, we're gonna people that, I can hear sure. the radios turning off yeah. from, from this interview if we don't we don't move it forward. It's the sound of a million iPhones shutting off yeah. the podcast. Yeah, yeah that's right. Speak. Um, I uh, I studied entrepreneurship in Indiana. I went to the business school, and entrepreneurship was like the easiest course to do within the management program. Really? It was new at the time. Yeah. And I remember our professor saying uh, on day one, he's like, you know, the A students, they're all going to get jobs in academia. The B students, you guys will go into the big six firms. And the C students, you guys are all here in the entrepreneurship program. No, those other kids will come work for you. Yeah, and the other kids will come work Do you remember that professor's you. name? Yes, you do. Professor Gary Dollinger. So I was like, I remember Bobby Knight's name, but none of your professor's names. No, Gary Dollinger, was, oh. that was his name, I believe. Great guy. Um, and so after college, I, I went and worked in South Africa again. 
went back there for a few months and worked as a glorified intern, which really meant I got to wear a nice suit and do nothing. And then after being bored one day, I went and worked for, I, I went and decided I wanted to go visit some of the, fe- the companies within our portfolio. And one of them was a food company. Is that true? I didn't, I didn't know this part of the story. So you learn something. Learn something new every day. What was that company? Uh, it was it was called Pineman's Pantry. It was in Krugersdorp, which was about an hour from where I lived in Johannesburg. And I was really ob- obsessed with. They used to make a million meat pies a day at this factory, um, and uh, meat pies are kind of like donuts in Southern Africa, in terms right, of where they right, fit in right. the in the you know the market the market spectrum. When it means when your factory worker goes on break. They, they have pie. a meat pie. When your when your mother picks you up from soccer practice, she'll bring you a meat pie. It's kind of like how it how it fits. It's a little baked, fresh baked pastry. I get okay? it? Only because I've had them before. But right. thinking of, as an American, the culture. Right. Mm. So they have these meat pie shops, and they have they're at every convenience store and supermarket. And we used to make all the meat pies for those. They would they would be frozen and they'd be baked fresh. They'd look like they some old lady was in the back rolling the dough. Mm. So it really was a great product. And I saw this and I said, all I knew how to do in business school was write a business plan. So I wrote a business plan. For the meat pies. For the meat pies. And I presented it to my boss. And he was like, you know what? That's a great idea. Why don't you go and open that in New York? And I said, well, I'm not from New York. I'm from Chicago. So we, so we cut a long story short. We opened one of these stories, one of these stores in Chicago. It was a, a comedy of errors from the word go. I didn't know shit about the restaurant business, let alone business, frankly. And um, you learned, I, I But one of the people I met during that process became my mentor and my partner in my next venture, which was Salad Spinners. And right. That I opened in 2000. Everybody knows Salad Spinners. I'm telling you, everybody I talk to you say, I'm, you know, I'm Richard Levy's my brother in law. Right. Big Richard Levy? No, no, no. The one who had the Salad Spinners, Richard Levy. <laughs> and it's like really? part of loop culture of, of that era. Oh, you. Yeah, if you ate a salad between the years 2000 and 2009, from in the loop in Chicago, there's a decent chance, maybe one in ten. Don't be humble. It came everybody, from knew, us. everybody knew salad spinners. Right. Where did that idea come from? I mean, all right, so the meat pies didn't work out. I mean, if you'd asked me when I, I would say, you know what, Rich, I don't, meat pies. My partner, Joel, my partner, Joel, who, who was the guy that became my mentor, he, he, he had a. Um, he was involved in a chicken concept that was selling more salads than chicken, so we wanted to. He wanted to spin off the salad division. This was like before salads were like so mainstream. I mean, you sort of had right. the time with the salad with the salad for lunch. True. So right? he he had he had, you know he he had essentially uh, knocked off the salad menu at. Um, uh, at Cheesecake Factory, I think he got the he got inspired by the, the the salad menu at Cheesecake Factory. He said, "Let's do a couple." You of know, these. that's my favorite restaurant. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know that? It's a, Seriously, it's such it's a, a great product. It, it, uh, great product. It, it hits the spot every time. Always delivers. Where can you go to have that much choice on a menu? It's unbelievable. And have cheesecake. And che- I don't like cheesecake. I was passing the cheesecake, right. but I can. They got so, great salads too. So Joel, you know, he he's like. Uh, he wanted to do the salad concept. He's like, this would be great in the loop, just salads. And so we, so we, we started together. Um, I borrowed the last 40 grand I could from my dad and he put in the rest. And I was the junior partner and he was the senior partner. And by the time I shut my mouth and started listening to him and learned from him, it was a really good decision, you know? 
And that's at its heyday, there were like two or three locations, right? We had four. Four. Uh, we actually built six, but two of them got demolished. So, um, oddly enough, uh, in buildings in the loop, one of the best things, if you're ever going to go into retail, okay, what I can tell you is always look for a demo clause in your lease. Okay. If the landlord decides to destroy the building, make sure they pay you. Because you can put a couple hundred thousand dollars into a, a leasehold improvement. Yeah. And then the landlord decides, you know what? I'm selling this building and I'm going to demolish it. And good luck to you. I can break your lease. So that was a, a great that lesson hurt. I learned as a, as a youngster. But anyway, a year after we started, we opened two together, Joel and I. And then, and then he got a great job working abroad. And he asked me to buy him out. And I bought him out. And I was this 24, 25-year-old kid. I had tomato uh, with uh, with two stores, and I thought I had it made in the shade, you know. Um, but loop business is tough. I mean, no one's just eating lunch. A lot of things are tough. Show me a business that's easy. All right, that's fair. But There's I mean, no I'm business. just thinking about the challenges of, of people serving always food say. In the loop. People always say the restaurant business is so tough. I don't know any business that's easy. Okay, like you can. Every podcasting, business is hard. I mean, podcasting's hard. Okay, that's it's tough. True. No one's. You know, it's not easy. You you can you. Yeah, but they say like don't don't do something like the mailman could do. Like the mailman could like be a podcaster. It's probably hard to be a mailman. It's probably hard to get a job as a mailman. I, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Fair. Okay. Fair. So so, we do the tough things because they're there to be done. You know, the mountain's there to be climbed, and so it's a different kind of crazy to be an entrepreneur. You have to be able to work four years sometimes. For no money, in fact, sometimes costing you money, sure, okay, burning your 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 savings down to nothing, and you have to have the the knuckle, the strength, the, the testicular fortitude to hold on when all else, when every all other logic says, give see, up. That's see right there. That's gonna be that's gonna go viral. That speech. It's wow. beautiful. Thank you. Fantastic. I got. You got more. I got more like that. Good because we got got ten more minutes mm. before time kicks us out of here. Okay. All right, so fast forward to all right. So, salad spinners is no more. And yeah, to you your know, next venture. Uh, oh, we, could we could fast forward to butter and vine, which is which, sure. Which what is I really do the most now, exciting, so I think. My what I do now is uh, is a much better business for someone like myself, which is it's it's you know when you when you're in the loop, you said the loop's hard. I'll tell you what was the toughest part of the loop having a retail business in the loop is you only had five days a week and two hours. So you have 10 hours a week to make money. To make money. Now, if you get a rainstorm or a blizzard, Forget the it. week's screwed. So you can try and plan. You can say, hey, we're going to serve 300, 400 people today. Mm -hmm. But if there's a rainstorm, you're down to 150, and good luck. You still got to pay your rent and your electric bill and all that stuff. So it wasn't very manageable. That was the part that used to, um, I used to hate about it. What I, what I do now is we do weddings and corporate events, which is great because you, you're getting paid usually six to 12 months in advance for an event that you know how many people to cater for. You know exactly how much, where it's going to be. It's going to happen, rain or shine. Right. You know what your revenue is. It's a much better business um, and a much more manageable business. So you, had to, you had to go through all that to get there, right. though, right? It's all part of the journey. Correct. Correct. How many months out to book you? Did you say? Well, you could book us. I mean, we could really, you know, do a wedding next week if we had I know had you say to. that, but you're just being like... Oh, well, we could. So you could. So but the, the hard part about doing a wedding is is making sure that you have the staffing and the location and 
the bride's got to get her dress, and there's a lot of moving the logistics, parts. Sure. But in terms of the caterers, uh, from the caterer's standpoint, we can produce a wedding. Like, we've done a big party for, you know, 100-plus people. Um, on short notice. On short notice. It's doable. Uh, as long as we're not doing 16 other things that week or, or whatever, five other things that week. Um, if we have the, the staff to do it, we can do it. And you do. And we do. You know, people said nobody wants to work anymore. How do you find staff? You know, it's tough. Uh, I think that the sooner everybody realizes that the price of everything's doubled, okay, and that includes labor, that includes uh, you know, everything. Pretty much everything's 50 to 100% more than it was. If you've been out to dinner lately as a family, you're paying double what you did two years ago. Okay, and I don't know why anyone's shocked. Uh, the rules of economics are still applied. You print money, this is going to happen. Yeah. So, so if as long as you pay people eighteen to twenty-two dollars an hour, which you know five years ago you could get away paying people you know twelve to fourteen an hour, mm. no one's going to work for that in Chicago, even though the minimum wage is fifteen. So everything's just gone up. Yeah, and it's never going to come down. You don't think? And no, it'll never. No, because you can't say to someone that you're now paying eighteen bucks an hour. Hey, Sorry. would you mind? Uh, would you mind to go down in, to fifteen and keep your job? It's not going to no, happen. Thanks. Now, if there's a major economic downturn and everything collapses, and somebody comes back and says, "Look, now the new market rate is fifteen, that could happen, huh. but not not in the same company, not in the same job. That's that ain't going to. People's wages only go up as long as there's a going concern. You're, you know, you're like you're like C-SPAN now. Fascinating. Yes. Fascinating. We've covered MSNBC. a lot of topics. We've covered a lot of topics. <laughs> so you've said it all, right? <laughs> You're listening to Stern these days? Did you I don't see the, Did Stern. you see it's, the Springsteen interview? I, you know, someone mentioned it to me. And I, I don't get good. Springsteen. I talked about this last time about Springsteen. It's just I don't get it. And surprised that you do, cause, yeah, because you're not from this country and you seem to understand Springsteen for some reason, which I think is terrible. Amazing. Come on, do you really believe that? Yeah, Springsteen's. Have you ever seen him? Uh, no. Okay. Well. Go to a Springsteen show. Why? Why? Pass. I'll pass on that one. The man is the hardest working man in show business. He 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 performs okay. for three hours straight. Watch the Stern interview. I haven't no. watched Stern in a long time. Because he's because this is better. Who wouldn't want to listen to Stern? You can yeah, listen to this. This is a lot, this is a lot better than right? <laughs> but uh you know, he became too political. Stern, he's he's so he's still on the radio, he's still interviewing Bruce Springsteen. He's done that like ten times before. Well, I wanted to I mean Bubba Bowie finally got him. Uh I, you I know, I w even if I was listening to Stern, I wouldn't have listened to that. I don't, really? I, w I don't care. I don't get crazy, right? Just I just don't get it. I was thinking about this last night because I went to see a concert last night. Right. I saw uh, I saw the smile. I bet you have no clue who that is. No. It's the guitarist from Radiohead, Tom okay. York, and Johnny Greenwood, and it was all like little middle-aged white dudes. I'm surprised I didn't see you there. But I was thinking about Springsteen. I said, would these be the same people that would go to a Springsteen concert? I don't know if they would. Because I thought everyone there probably has better taste in music than Bruce Springsteen. And that's just how I feel. I just don't get it. And no, one did, no one did explain it to me. Everyone said, well, he's the hardest working man in show business and show business and blah, 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 blah. But like, okay, Thunder Road, then what? Oh, you're, there's, the man has a catalog very deep, and he's got a new album out where he covers a lot of Motown songs. Nah. It's phenomenal. Um, Pass. This segues probably nicely into my theory about, you know, I, I minored in history of rock music. In Did college. you really? Well, not, not really. but it Parents was, paid for that. <laughs> you had to take... Wait a minute, wait a minute. You majored in the history of rock and roll, and, and you were talking about Bruce Springsteen, and you're carrying yeah, on about him? Yeah, well, I'm going somewhere with this. So the, 
Indiana had a great business school and a great music school. So if you took uh, elective classes, but they bring the in like John school. Cougar Mellencamp is here. You're He's come a teach local the class. boy. Yeah. Done good. Yeah. But so what happened was you would you would you would take these elective classes that were taught by these really talented professors, music professors, like geniuses. Come on. So yeah, they knew everything about music theory and how, you know, and you're 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 a piano player. You understand. So there was this professor named Glenn Gass, which he was, everybody loved him. Everyone took his class. But one of the theories I, I kind of, it, it hit me like a thunderbolt back then, is that if you think of the top five or ten most commercially successful bands of all time. I know where you're going to have this conversation before, but yes, this is interesting. you've heard Go. me. Yeah. I feel like the studio audience would hit. Would I, I'm their like bated breath. Every word is okay. more interesting than the next. So if you, if you think of the top five greatest bands commercially successful, okay. I don't mean the band you like. Or the obscure I, uh, band I like. Fair enough. That everyone will agree. That's Beatles, The Stones, Led Zeppelin, uh, The Who. See, The Stones, I U2, feel the... U2, The nah. Police. The Stones have commercially sold. They've been around for almost 70 years. So what? Okay, they, they're far more successful and they've sold more records than Radiohead. Here's, here's the litmus test. Fine. If they, if they were playing in Soldier Field tonight in December, people would go. And stand in the cold, in the rain, um, and, and they'd sell it. To okay? a Rolling Stone concert? I'm going somewhere with this. I, hurry it up. Tom is getting bored. You can kick us out of here. So you talk about the top 10 bands of all time. And right. then on the other hand, the top 10 individual artists, icons sure. of all time. Okay. From Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, through to Madonna. Okay. Okay. Yes. What do the bands have in common? What do the individual artists have in common? Uh, I don't know. It isn't what you think. And this was something I came Did he, up with. This is what you learned. In in, uh, you, this was your theory. This, this is, is a theory I've you been learn this from to Professor write, Glenn. now it's my chance okay. to uh, tell the world about it. Four people are going to listen. Told you that. The bands are all English. The icons are all American. And right. if, you think of the, if you think of the inverse of that, what's the most commercially successful British icon of all time? Of all time? Maybe it's Elton John. Maybe it's David Bowie. And these are, these are talented musicians, okay? Maybe it's Amy Winehouse. Paul right? McCartney, I'm sure. He... Paul McCartney, immediate disqualification Why? because he's a Beatle. Okay. He's a Beatle. He's made his fame through the Beatles. Sting is very popular. But he was part of the police. Okay, so here's my point. I hurry it up. If you're a kid with talent, okay. Any it matters, and it, and and it matters where you are, in terms of what you do. If you're if you live in, you're like Mal Malcolm Gladwell of, of yeah, rock and roll. If you live in the United States and right. you can perform, okay, the best thing you can do is call yourself first name, last name, and the blank. And the David Matthews Band. I knew you were Bruce going to the Dave Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band. Okay. Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Okay. It matters. It matters what you do. Now, your band. Where does that come from then? What's bon what? I don't know. It's in my head. It's no, craziness. But, but you're probably, there is right. some, there's something, there's something there. Now, if you're British the, and you've got talent, the best thing you can do is find three or four other kids that walk like you, talk like you, dress like you, mm. and have the same haircut as you. It's interesting. And, and and call yourself the something. Why are you wasting time with catering? You need to write a book about this. <laughs> what, what are you going to call this theory? Like, I don't know. It's 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 and it's there's something to it. 
Because there Should are there are definitely bands that I like that's no one heard of. There's bands you like that's no one's heard. But there's in terms of commercial successful international fame, this theory is mostly infallible. Now I'll tell you. Does something it not apply else. to like rap music? I'm trying to. It does apply to rapper music. What are the rappers' names? Snoop Dogg. Okay. 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 He's huge. It applies to reggae. Bob Marley and the Wailers. Yeah, but after Bob Marley, then what? Uh, it's like an anomaly. There's plenty of uh, reggae stars and and you know reggae rap crossover stars that have first name last name. The, the formula is first name last name. If you're on and this side of the pond, yeah. If you're on that side of the pond, call yourself the something or a, or a band name like you two. Hmm. <clears throat> you can, yeah, I'm thinking, and you've got me stumped. Yep. There you go. It's a thing. I can't really explain it. You should what, write. If Rolling Stone magazine is still around. You should write. You write an article and send it to them. I think it has to do mainly with the fact that the world loves an American gunslinger like a John Wayne. Yeah, like that's one a guy with thing, a guitar. Sure. American. The Elvis. world loves a cowboy. Hmm. Okay, and the cowboy or a cowgirl. Look at Madonna. She's huge. I think okay. Jimi Hendrix, though. I mean, Jimi Hendrix is a fascinating. So there's some exceptions to the he's, rule. He's from Seattle. He's American. Yeah. Where did he make his fame? In London. In London, as the Jimi Hendrix experience. experience. Okay. Yeah. So the. So he's a blend. The Doors. Uh, the door. Now here's the other thing. If you're an American and you're in a band, and you die in your twenties. Ideally, of a drug overdose, mm. like or 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 a suicide, like Kurt Cobain, your band goes from famous to transcending. Transcendent. Leonard Skinner. Nah. A good band, a great band. Nah. Everybody knows the opening line. You could you could you could hum uh, "Sweet Home Alabama" in the backwoods of any town in the world. Yeah, but I bet anybody anybody like. Under the age of thirty, couldn't Tom? If they Hollywood. know, if they know about uh, uh, who's that? If they know about what's his name, who did the cover? Oh, uh, Kid Rock. Kid Rock. All right, fair enough. Okay, Kid Rock is another example. All right, so what are you going to do with this fascinating piece of, of, of cultural just, commentary you know, and rock and roll? For, it makes for uh, it is a good conversation. It makes for interesting dinner conversation. When things go quiet at a dinner, if put you in the middle. At a dinner, yeah. Or if you're ever on, you know, out to, to uh, with a couple, and there's nothing to talk about. Bring this up; it'll kill at least thirty minutes. I think we should at least go back to the mining of uranium in the South African mm -hmm. mines, because I'm sure people would be rich. We want to know more about that in your worldview. Um, but that is an interesting theory. It does. It there is something there. There's something there. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is either. It's not fully fleshed out, but there is something there. Because the band I saw, like you know, they're British Radiohead. You know, makes sense. Holds, holds true. They're holds true. Band. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to rack my brain thinking of... Think of the... Waste my time think thinking of about Think of the bands. greatest American bands, okay? And there's some great American bands. Sure. Phenomenal American mm -hmm. bands, okay? They're still not, in terms of mega stardom, okay? Yeah. They're still not... as Like, the Eagles are hugely popular, okay? You, don't <sighs> might, you might not like them. I don't. But they're hugely popular, okay? I, yeah, I guess. Uh, Aerosmith, hugely popular. Sure, bon okay. Jovi, although it's the John bon, G bon Jovi band, okay? So my theory holds up. I couldn't comment on that. Whatever. They're still not anywhere near, in terms of commercial success, of the top 10 British bands. From Pink Floyd to Aerosmith. Oasis. To Oasis. It holds up. Even the Spice Girls. 
Hate to say it, hugely popular. It's interesting. I wonder if they, like someone in a Capitol Records or whatever is thinking about this. This thing. is how we're going to be successful. It's Gladwellian. It is. So maybe Max, Malcolm Gladwell will hear this. If you can tell me how to make a nickel and a dime with this theory, I'll. Well, you're not going to do it here on this podcast because okay. I told you no one's listening. <laughs> that should be the name of this your podcast. Oh, it was either going to be nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. No one really does Who care. Who said that? That was me. It's because uh, because right. when you get on doing these things, you were so worried about you know what you're going to say, how you're going to look, especially in mm-hmm. your social media. Everybody, but nobody cares. They only care about themselves. But who gives a shit? Nobody. Right. So why am I doing this then? Well, this isn't about me. We don't have to talk about that. I mean, we could talk about it. What, what, what are you doing it for? What, what's your? I, you know, I don't know. You know, I wrote in my notes I was going to talk about what I'm doing it for, and I, and I don't know. I thought I, I'd have it figured out by now. I think you've always you've got a great voice for radio. Do you think, Tom? Hey, now. Well, you know, I've, you know, my my whole shtick is trying to be like Stern, I guess. Well, you know, you're you're. Everybody is derivative of something. That's true. Hardly anybody is is. No, but the self-deprecating and you know that's all. But it's true. I don't know why I do this, but we really don't have to get on that because we only have an hour and the time's up. Listen, Aaron. I've said it all. I've known you a long time. You're a, you've got potential to be a great. See, here we go. The pep talk. You've got go, potential no, to be a great. Get, get, uh, get on the mic. We don't want to miss a second of this. <laughs> Bring this thing closer. He's going to talk a, about me. You're a shitty lawyer. Fair enough. But you're a great. This. You're a great this. This is good. This works for you. This is you a think, good thing. You think people would want to listen to what I have to say? See, yeah. I don't think anybody cares. You know, I think the more intimate you get with your audience, the more people want to listen. All 45 downloads. So no, it, far. Yeah, so far. These are the going to no, be the archives. Right. I don't know what it is, but it these is. These are going to be the archives. The more confidence you get behind the mic and the more relaxed you make your audience feel, the more they're going to want to listen to it. You are an expert. You're like a Renaissance man. Expert I, on everything. I, you know what? I drift in and out of you know of consciousness sometimes. But yeah, the reality is it's it's uh, everything's a journey in life. You've got to put in. I learned the hard way that you start to. I started to get success the minute I stopped thinking I knew everything. Yeah. Started listening to other people. Started getting. You did coached. start listening to other people. Getting coached. There's something to be said about. When the student's ready, the teacher will appear. In my life, that's happened a number of times, and I've hmm. been fortunate enough to have people that have, when I was ready, and I wasn't always ready. I was, I was a you know, arrogant, angry young man for a lot of my life, and now I'm you know, well, so, get, sometimes a be, now belligerent middle aged. No, man. you bring that up at the end of the conversation, though. Right. You were an angry young man because you just spoke for an hour about yourself, and I didn't get any of that. <laughs> Um, but when you when you appear when when you're ready to find something, when a student's ready, a teacher does appear, and yeah. I believe that it's very very karate kid. No matter what you're doing, uh, it'll you know the universe presents opportunities to us. And maybe it's in media for me. Maybe I don't know. It's media. This is a good. This feels right. Does it? Me. Yeah. You hear that, Tom? Yeah, feels right. Interview people. You know. Uh, you said it. Listen. Otherwise, there's always butt bongo. Yeah, but, yeah, right. Right. What, didn't that get Stern famous? It did. Um, do they still do that? I bet they probably still does that bit because he's got nothing else going on. Where he talks about wearing a mask. Right. I, I don't know. You, yeah. Do you listen? I don't listen as much as I used to at all. You get in your car, you listen. You put on Bruce Springsteen. I put on. I put on Rogan, or I've li- I listen to books on tape. I'm loving. If you guys want to hear a 
See, a great book. It's the B.B. Netanyahu uh, life story. His phenomenal, phenomenal I'm story. Sure. I'm not listening to that. It's fantastic. I want to listen to myself. I have to practice and work my craft. He's a great, uh, he's, he's, he's Churchillian in, in our era. You think so? Yes, absolutely. The man has had to make decisions the likes of which uh, mere mortals should not have That's to make. That's right. People like Biden could never make decisions like that. No comment. Oh, See, all right, point it close to the vest. Fair enough. I'm a patriot. I pray for America to do well. Good answer. See, oh, we, you know what we didn't talk about on the list is your aspirations to be mayor of Chicago, city of Chicago. <laughs> you laugh like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, this city's become seedy. Uh, it's, it's, you still live in the city. I live in the city, but I don't know, I don't know for why. how much longer, man. The city has become like, and it's not even, it's not even the crime, which is rampant, okay? There's the shootings and the murders. It's, those are horrible. It's the little things like the graffiti. Yeah. Okay. You everywhere you go in the city right now is covered with graffiti, and no one's stopping it. All right. Well, listen. Now's your chance. Here's a platform to to announce and your the, candidacy and, and the, for for mayor. And the graffiti is, you know, the tip of the iceberg. Because then, if you look at the same bridge that's covered in graffiti, like there's a bridge in the on the Kennedy feeder by the Ohio offering that is literally yeah, crumbling. You can see like the rebarb. They've been working on that like interchange for no, not this. But well, it leads well, into that. The right? interchange, I don't know how many billions and how many years they've spent on I think that. Obama started that, um, but that's that's covered. In so graffiti. then, what's the answer? What do we do? Is it worth saving? I'll tell you what the answer is. The answer is needs to I just be. I'm suffering because you have an interesting perspective coming from South right. Africa, Johannesburg, which was a beautiful city, and now probably not so much. Right. I'll, I'll tell you what the answer is. The answer is not jail time. The answer is the power of City Hall. You know what makes a business owner shit for City Hall? We have to have chains on our garbage, okay? If we don't have chains on our garbage, it's like a $500 fine, okay? So we have chains on as our garbage. As business owners. Yes, as business owners. I don't only have to get that fine once, okay? What's, what's the, what's the feeling? Why, why? Why do you have to change? What's, what's, the, so, um, what's so, that protecting? So vagrants can't come and open the garbage and dump it out, which Die, they do, and then it creates rats. Okay, okay. So it's, it makes sense, okay? It makes sense. If you own a building and you've got a porch, there's certain code that you have to build to. If you're sure. a builder. So the city knows how to manage. The city knows how to police business. And they should do the same thing for vandalism. If you're caught graffitiing a bridge or a building, you don't go to jail. We just give you a thousand dollar citation, which will go to your parents' house. And, and then, if you don't, and and if you come, if you can come to court. Come to court. Look, it's just like any other citation. Okay, or make it two thousand dollars. I don't know what it costs to fix a, a, a graffiti on a bridge. Come to court, defend yourself, say it wasn't you. But if they got you on camera, got tons of cameras. There's okay, the cameras. Down and they the, should on just mail Irving you. Park. Like when I when I go and I drive, I go through a, I accidentally go through a red light. I get mailed a, a speeding ticket. I know. I'm sure I got okay. one coming down right. Irving Park now. So and if you don't pay it, it doubles. Sure. Okay, that's the way it is. And if you don't, if you get five or six of them, they're gonna boot you. They should do the same for graffiti. If you're gonna if you're gonna damage the city, it's not we're not gonna spend money arresting you and booking you and putting you in jail. There's a thousand dollar citation. Okay, and if you don't pay it in ninety days, it's doubling. And then when your parents try and move, there's a lien against the house if it's not paid. Yeah, that's a pain in the ass. Okay. And the same should apply with breaking and entering, petty crime. When you do that, parents will start to realize, hey, 
my kid's a juvenile delinquent. Let me go and get this kid off the streets and I'll become a parent. Because the second a parent, you're a parent, if your kid did something stupid that was going to cost you thousands of dollars, you'd be pissed. Yeah, sure. That's what it's going to take, the power of City Hall. The same way City Hall keeps businesses in check, and they should. There's a lot of things they should do that, you know, which, which I disagree upon, but but they, they're able to get businesses to play by the rules. They should get people to play by the rules the same but way. But then how does that address, like, the crime issue? Oh, you're talking about vandalism, these <clears throat> no-good kids, but well, cut deeper the, than it's that. It's the broken windows theory. It's the broken windows theory that Giuliani instituted in New York in the early 90s. Sure. Fix the broken windows, arrest the turnstile hoppers, and the muggers are like, whoa, whoa, the heat is on. The cops are here. Okay, I'm not going to sell drugs on this corner. I'm not going to go and mug somebody on the on the... If they're arresting the turnstile guys, guys jumping, stealing 50 cents. Sure. But that's not ride. the policy, though, in Chicago. I mean, it, it was never the policy, but it, it was the policy in New York under Giuliani. It made New York into a, it took New York from a, sure. from a, from a derelict slum into a powerhouse city, mm-hmm. and now it's sliding the other way, you know? And this is not a Republican or Democrat thing. This is just show me where it's working. I like things that work, Okay. I like things that work. Show me anywhere in the world where you have a policy, whether it comes from the right or the left, that works. If it doesn't work, politics is a science. You can't be the party of science and then not believe in science. Science has cause and effect. Sure. Do this, you can get that. It's like they dig their heels in, though. They they draw and they're not backing down. And and we have have one of the most incompetent mayors who's concerned about everything else except what's actually important to people. All right, let's talk about her. I I don't live in the city, so I don't know. I was rooting for her, especially in the beginning of COVID. She came out and she was in support of local businesses, but she is really focused on the absolute wrong things. What is she focused on? I don't know what she's focused on. Diversity and inclusion and God knows what else, which is an important thing, but it's like number 512 in terms of what this city needs right now. Vandalism is number one. This city needs to, people need to feel safe and secure. That's true. We can't have beautiful transgendered bathrooms if there's no businesses inside this economy for those bathrooms to exist within. But maybe the model of of the skyscraper and the office just doesn't work anymore. Maybe, you know. There's like a redistribution of how people how do business these days. And COVID taught us a lesson that this worked up at sure. a point. But, you know, at the office and that whole th- loop loop culture. Sure. Well, have you been to the, the loop is no. depressing yeah. these days. I am. One of the things Sad. I'm most grateful about is that I didn't have any business, retail businesses on the loop when this whole nonsense hit. But um, I don't know how those buildings are going to survive. I don't know what they're going to do. But, uh, you know, this this used to be a shining, sure. beautiful city on a hill. And now it's, you know, a... Uh, it's it's, seedy. it's sad. There's, yeah, a it sad, is sad. There's, a, there's a sadness in Chicago, and I've never seen it in my 25 years of living in this city. And for the first time in a long time, I'm not bullish on Chicago. Mm. That's a, that's, and that's what's wrong. That's, that's we, need, we need a competent tough mayor i don't care what color skin they are or who they love or so what they do announce your candidacy right now this we, is the platform for you to do it <laughs> Ladies i and wish gentlemen. i had the time and effort to do it no one would vote for me probably not i'm, I'm a conservative they would dig no into one your would vote history and be like, Ugh, this can you um, run for mayor if you're not born in this country or is that only part of yeah the i think you can yeah absolutely you could run for you would probably i think you'd make a good mayor practical i would serve you know the reasonable the, the, the here's 
the one thing people forget is that government is a service. And coming from the service industry, we understand hospitality. When you have a client that's complaining. Sure. I don't care what it is. That my, you know, my soup's not hot enough. I don't, where's, where's the spoon? Uh, you know, that we ordered this, we got that. People from the service industry understand how to solve that and they're, and they're listening and they fix things fast or they're out of business. Mm-hmm. And government is a service. Okay. My neighbor's dog is crapping on my lawn or uh, the street lights out or there's garbage everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't get me started on the garbage. You know, she, I thought this place used to be so clean. I mean, I haven't lived here in a long time. If you if you walk some of the the streets of the neighborhoods of Chicago, they're full of garbage. And I think That's largely terrible. what happens, I don't necessarily think it's people throwing the garbage. I think when you recycle and sometimes you put the stuff in the recycling bin, the wind blows it open and then all the garbage, the cans and papers fly everywhere. But another great way the city could make a profit is if they said if you are, if there's garbage in front of your building, mm-hmm. whether your house, your business, you can get a you can get a hundred dollar fine. They, I think they make you shovel the driveway, and if you, right. you, you have to take that, you have so to do a good you, job. If you, in so other words, sure, if not? you if you're a family and you have a single family home, or if you're a building and you're a building manager, and there's garbage on your sidewalk, you're responsible for picking it up. Okay, and if you don't, you're getting fined. I think that's that's. I'm it's reasonable. That. You want to call the city green, okay? We've got all kinds of green building initiatives. Green starts with picking up the trash. Green starts yeah. with pick up the pick up the mess and clean it up with rich. We have to think your slogan now. I'll clean the city up, <laughs> right? Aaron, you're too kind. Well, Rich, thank you for. Co- I think we're out of time, right, Tom? Yeah, he's giving giving us. The thank you, sign. Tom. Thanks for having it's us. It's been a fascinating interview, Rich. Yes. Thank you for coming on and, and spending. I know you're a busy guy. I've enjoyed this. You have. Good. Hopefully. You seem more relaxed now than when we started, I'll be honest with you. Well, I, I was born relaxed, you know. But uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed this, and I thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you for coming on. Um, yeah, I don't know how we wrap it up from here, Tom. I don't know what Shabbat the, shalom. Shabbat well. shalom. We can do the call letters. Thank you. Oh, how's, how's Stern ended? He's like, we've said it all. I've said too much. said it all. I've said too much. The record comes out. The book comes out. Where can they see you? It's just sort of, yeah, yeah where, when are you playing next? <laughs> When's your next know. gig? We've got a... You got weddings this weekend? We've got a, a corporate event this afternoon. There you go. You can plug Butter and Vine. We haven't even talked private. about Butter you and Vine. You can't get in. I can't even get in. So yeah. if you're looking for a caterer, weddings, corporate events, mitzvahs, there's no better... Butterandvine.com. Butter. That's right. You'll see it. No, because like, is there a, a social media handle at Butter and Vine? Uh... Yes. You think so? Just do use the Google. You'll find us. No, okay, fair enough. We're like the A team. If you can find us, maybe you can hire us. So you say that, but I, I know what the A team is. But Tom, do you know? Like, Tom's like sort of like that of that age where I, where I check everything. When can culturally. you cue the music to the A team as we go out? Dun, 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 dun. That's a great show. Yeah, it's a great show. We also had that in South Africa. Did which, you have the A team? Part of the reason why I was excited to move here. Thought there'd be a lot of like Night Rider explosions and. You know, vans and and we, we were very excited when Mr. T mm-hmm. we found out lived next to in Lake Island Forest Park in Lake yeah. Forest. That was that was a huge I wonder if he's not hugely like, exciting thing for us boys. What's that? They kicked him out of that town, I think. I don't know where he is these There's days. Something with trees. He was I'd love trees. to meet him. He's a legend. He is a legend. You know. Um, Listen, we've run out of once. we've run out of steam here. Okay, struggling for things to say. Good stuff. Let's wrap it up. Tom, wrap thanks. Up. Rich, pleasure. Wheels up. Thank Wheels you. up.
See you all next time on Down the Road.